the Empire Podcast this week, the odds are ever in our favour as we talk to the Lawrence who bestrides the Hunger Games catching fire like a colossus. It is, of course, its director, Francis Lawrence. Why, who else did you think I meant? Uh, we also chat to and swear like troopers with two of his stars, Stanley Tucci and Elizabeth Banks, plus reviews of Blue is the Warmest Colour, The Family, Parkland, and more on the only movie podcast was up all night playing Quiz Up. And frankly, he's a bit disappointed that there isn't an Empire Podcast category. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to the Empire Podcast. I'm joined this week as ever by three of my learned and esteemed colleagues, cousins, all of whom have changed their names by Deadpool to reflect their new names, their Hunger Games names. First up is a lady so fierce she makes Katniss Everdeen look like Cat Piss Neverdeen. That's pretty much my level. <laughs> it was Helen O'Hara. It is now Winchester Droolalot. <laughs> that's, that's right I changed them yeah that's that's probably fair that's okay. I think entirely appropriate <laughs> James and I have been arguing about uh, Supernatural this week we I have. think it's not shit he thinks it is no Go to figure. be fair to be fair and we've derailed the podcast we've already. literally only just started already you haven't I've, even introduced you've derailed it already what I've, the hell are you I've doing? watched I've watched I think six seasons of Supernatural I watched an entire season on my honeymoon which is sad and tragic but what I'm saying is I think this qualifies me to say with affection it's a bit rubbish sorry you, yeah. how many seasons on your honeymoon uh, one I watched one one season I watched I watched a season of Supernatural uh, several episodes of Lie to Me and uh, the whole of John Adams you were doing your honeymoon wrong yes really? he also understand. texted back to recommend a book Oh, he did. Yes, well. that's true. I read uh, Patrick Rothfuss's uh, in the name of uh, the name of the wind, and, and I texted Helen your... from the pool to say that she needs to read it. And how did your ex-wife take this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good not times. an ex-wife. You are still married to your wife. Good times. You are still married. To your yeah. Wife. All right. Next up, you've heard him because he won't stop talking. He's the editor of Empire Online, the man whose colossal vision and barely basic competence makes that site what it is today. He was James Dyer. He is now Earl Not Working. <laughs> work, it, work it out work it out uh, last but not least is a man who stays up in the wee small hours with scissors and tape putting this podcast together no need to thank him because we have someone who stays up with him in the wee small hours with more scissors and other tape making sure that he actually does it he was Ali Plum he is now audacity out my hands <laughs> welcome sir and Ow. yet again he's got it wrong <laughs> and it? yet again he's got it wrong have I? it's audition is it? it's still audition is it audition? I'll do it again <laughs> no it's fine I'll do it again it's fine leave I'll it it's funnier it. that you keep getting it wrong it's funnier that you keep getting it wrong how do I keep getting that wrong? I don't know pretty much alright my Hunger Games name by the way it's Keith Hunger Games name I, I feel like you've run out of time there, Chris. I feel like I've gone easy myself. Yeah, <laughs> with that one, a little bit, a just little maybe. Bit. Anyway, can I can I now W Galahad Twatalot? <laughs> yes, of course you can. Excellent. <laughs> all right, uh, let's move on to your questions. You've been sending them in all week uh, on Twitter, Facebook, and email. We have all three this week. Amazing. Let's start Ooh. with an email question from Simon Crookston, who asks: With Susan from I'm Alan Partridge series one appearing in the Counselor very briefly. What appearances by an actor or actress have caught you most off guard while watching a movie? Another example would be Lieutenant Jim Dangle appearing as the Doctor in The Dark Knight Rises. That's Thomas Lennon, who's uh, in Reno uh, 911, but also he's the, the co-writer of the Night at the Museum franchise. He is, yes. Uh, I've got a good one for this. Go for it. Um, I think we've mentioned this in the podcast before, but it's a scene in Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull when Indiana Jones walks into a room and is confronted not just with Jim Robinson from Neighbours, uh, who I was on a flight with recently, uh, but the janitor from Scrubs. Yes, that, that's right. That was a, a weird uh, film for me. And they, they talk about how Jim Robinson from Neighbours, Alan Dale, talks about how he and Indy were great friends during World War II. And I, I'm sure I wasn't alone in thinking that that 
it's a movie that I'd much rather watch than the one I was actually watching. <laughs> the actor who plays the janitor is called Neil Flynn. Mm-hmm. So now you know. There's a lovely subplot on uh, <laughs> on Scrubs. Essentially, was it Turk, I think, or JD watches The, the Fugitive? Yep. And Neil Flynn is in it as a cop at, uh, towards the end who tries to apprehend the one-armed man <laughs> on, on a Chicago subway train. And there's like a whole thing. Is the janitor really Neil Flynn, who's really <laughs> an actor? And they, they never quite resolve that. It's, it's, a, it's wonderful. George Lucas in Beverly Hills Cop 3. Yes. What are you doing? He plays, and this is the best thing about it. If you remember, he is queuing up to get onto the ride called the Spider, and then Axel just jumps in and cuts in and gets in ahead of him, right? In the credits, guess what his character name is? Mace Windu. Good <laughs> shout. It's actually Disappointed Man, which curiously <laughs> was the character name of everyone in every cinema that was watching that film. Oh! oh. Come Zing. on now. Or Disappointed Woman, to be oh, fair. Yeah. I would also <laughs> yeah, put into this sexist. category... Yeah, I know what a twat I am. Uh, also Vanilla Ice in uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2. Secret of the Ooze. What are you doing in that film? Serious question, though. Serious answer is Jane Silent Bob and Screen 3. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a weird one. Because then and that means it's part of the viewer skew universe, and if that's the case, then all yeah. kinds of freaky-deaky shit's going on. Do cameos count, though? George Lucas, Jane Silent Bob. I know they kind of do but, a little bit. I'm talking about taking you out of the film and kind of make you go, huh? What? True. But, but Jim Robinson from Neighbours and the janitor from Scrubs are jobbing actors. They're not cast for their their recognition value in, in, in D4 okay, they, just, they just happen to be in a scene the and they just happen to be two kind of weird character actors Eddie Izzard in Ocean's 12 oh that's fair yeah that's really fair because his accent's all over the shop and he's not the best actor I love him to bits but he doesn't quite fit in with the rest of that gang for me and I remember mm. thinking what? was there no one does he know somebody? Huh? yeah I was thinking and probably in the same film uh, George Clooney because everyone else in that group is really attractive and good-looking and successful. Um, Unlike Clooney? Yeah, and he just kind of sticks out like a sore thumb with his big face and his stupid eyes. Oh, his big face and his stupid eyes. his lovely ears and his (laughs) huggable chest. What? Oh, my goodness. Let's get back on track. I mean, some for me are the ones where you go back and you realise that someone who has later become famous is in a tiny bit part. Seth Rogen and Donnie Darko is one that sprang to mind for some reason. Um, And even Tom Sizemore in Point Break is like one scene. Mm. Um, But you're like, that's Tom Sizemore, look. Right there, look, see him. Wow. Also, at the time, actually, Anthony Kiedis uh, pulled me out of that because I was like, whoa, chili peppers. Anyway, um, but I would like to nominate more recently um, Richard Schiff in Man of Steel. And then there was like a little Battlestar Galactica reunion up in the in the Arctic scenes there because both Gaeta and Hilo were, uh, were working on the secret project in the Arctic. Um, Michael K. Williams in uh, The Incredible Hulk. A proper blink and you'll miss him, literally. He walks out, looks, and it gone. Doesn't even say a word. Really? Wow. Yeah. Have you not seen that? When uh, Hulk and Abomination are fighting down the street, he walks out of a shop, looks up, looks surprised, and then cuts away. <laughs> and really? That, and that'd be Omar. Also, Bobby Brown was in Ghostbusters too as a doorman. Wow. Yeah. True again, story. Again, I'm not sure if that is exactly what the what Simon Crook... <laughs> Well, you'd, you'd think it's a cameo, but then knowing yeah. Bobby Brown's career as it was, that was probably just a job. <laughs> Dean no, Norris. he did the music for Ghostbusters 2. You know that. Come on now. Nick knows that. Uh, Dean yeah. Norris in Total Recall plays the guy in the bar with the um, mutant face. Dean Norris in The Counselor. Dean Norris in Evan Almighty plays a cop. Really brings me out of that film. I was, I was just so in it. And then there he is. I'm like, oh, rubbish. Is Major it- Dean Norris fact. He plays SWAT team leader in Terminator 2 Judgment Day and SWAT team leader 
in Gremlins 2, the new batch. Now, are they the same person? Same universe. Same universe. This is amazing. Mm, I think so. Let's move on, shall we? Next question is from at the Pete's Bog. Uh, and this has been asked... We felt this back a couple of public couple of podcasts now. So your answer better be good. It says, essentially, we've been banging on about our uh, favourite American TV shows for a long, long time. So what are our favourite British TV shows? Jolly good. Helen. At the risk of making this sound like we held it back deliberately until this week. <laughs> okay, yeah. I'm going to say Doctor Who. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Sorry. James doesn't briefly. like it. I actually, there, there was someone else asked a question about our favourite Doctor Who moments, and I knew you were going to be on the podcast this week, and I decided <laughs> not to put it in. <laughs> yes. I have to say, can I, I'm not a huge yeah. Doctor Who fan. Okay. Not a huge Doctor Who fan. I think we've said that in the podcast before, but I love the fact that they got Paul McGann back to do that that was that great episode. actually that was very exciting and it, it doesn't mess up the numbering so I'm going to go with conventional numbering and what I'm about to say oh please do it, thank you because it makes right okay this is a slight spoiler for the eight minute webisode that's online Night of the Doctor Night of the Doctor it confirms that John Hurt who we saw at the end of the last series is the ninth Doctor he mm-hmm. is the war doctor making him the ninth Doctor Chris Freckleson becomes the tenth and Philip David Tennant Taylor becomes the eleventh <laughs> David Tennant becomes the eleventh and uh, Matt Smith becomes the twelfth we're just gonna, not going to go with that we're just going to keep the traditional numbering okay because it's too confusing otherwise so I watched it as a kid hid behind the sofa I remember back to sort of Tom Baker and Colin Baker and those guys but I really started watching it under Sylvester McCoy and under Sylvester McCoy <laughs> When Sebastian McCoy was... <laughs> it was so scary, she hid under Sylvester Yeah, he was McCoy. playing with spoons and it made me feel <laughs> better. You burrow under a Doctor Who actor <laughs> while watching Doctor Who. Anyway, and uh, so he was my he was my doctor when I was growing up. But um, He was but your doctor when he was... He was my doctor when I was growing up. Yeah, very good, but not great sp- prescriptions. Are you yeah. okay? I'm fine. I'm, yeah, right. I got through you it. You kept just question didn't. marks after each suggestion. <laughs> Penicillin? Doctor, I keep trying to say something about Doctor Who, but I keep being interrupted by facetious comments. <laughs> what do I do? I don't know. <laughs> I might have ideas. As you were. Thank you. So, uh, yeah, and then David Tennant, as with virtually the rest of the entire world, was the one that really got me on board. Um, I thought his, his stint was fantastic. <laughs> I thought there were some great stories in there. James hasn't watched most of it, so has no leg to stand on. He's got his hand up, but I'm not handing over the mic. James, a man who worships at the altar of Farscape, is about to diss Doctor Who. You, you have... Yeah, OK, I'll, I'm the first to admit I watch a lot of rubbish television, um, probably more than all of our fair share of it. I just don't get Doctor Who. I really enjoyed it as a child when it was, as it was, a horror TV show. It wasn't always It that. was a horror show. When you got right down to it, it was a horror show. No, there was a lot of sci-fi ideas There was a sci-fi, there. absolutely, but it's sci-fi horror. You know, it's mm. the reason why it traumatised generations of children. And then it came back, and it was rubbish. There are still we can't scary get away episodes. No, I'm sorry, like The Blink. only thing scary is the production values. I saw the Christmas special <laughs> with Kylie Minogue. I saw the oh, one where Billy Piper great. ran away from the mannequins. Honestly, this is like a nadir yeah, of British television. Okay, but if you're it's only just... watching the Christmas specials, they're all style over substance. The best stories have always been in the series itself, and stuff like Blink... Uh, and stuff like uh, the pandem- Pandemonium Open, the Pandorica Opens, were incredible. Absolutely brilliant TV. And frankly, honestly, it's a really good show night. Yes, it's aimed slightly younger than you might like, but it is genuinely witty and smart. Is and it? It deals with big sci-fi concepts. Better than Supernatural. Don't be ridiculous. <laughs> James, you should have watched Morning Honeymoon. <laughs> you, you're right I think if I'd watched more Doctor Who on my honeymoon I probably would like it more my point is also it's the 50th anniversary this weekend it's big it's here it's very exciting and the Fastgate box set is available now Luther James and I Luther. 
Luther. I've got a terrible joke involving Luther, which won't work on the radio, but let's give it a go. Go on. Uh, in the third season, this is such a joke. In the third season, you see him chomping down on the cereal, and it made me think you could do any joke with Luther if you ask it this way. What is Luther's favourite breakfast cereal? Ricicles! <laughs> Because if you shout it in the Luther voice, anything's amusing. He's not wrong. The thing about Luther is he shouts people's first names multiple times in every sentence. I could be like, Ali, what are you doing? Ali, are you talking, Ali? Come here, Ali. So we know his name. We've established the characterization. You can calm down. He, you know what? It's fantastic. It's, the first season of Luther is genius. The second season is less genius. And the third is less still. Nevertheless, it is never unwatchable. Idris Elba is a god. Uh, and Ruth Wilson also fantastic. I, I watched the first season, and then you pointed out to me because I was going, I've, I can't believe I haven't watched this. I can't believe I haven't watched this. And then James said, watch how he will every other word for no particular reason intonate it much more than he should. Ali, where have you been today? <laughs> uh, it, every other sentence, like, um, oh, I really enjoy listening to the Empire podcast. <laughs> I do love the show and I actually have more love for the second season than you do yeah. I didn't mind how CSIE got and I really like the final kind of coming together but yeah it, it's just it's frustrating that and Sherlock with these three season kind of film length TV shows it just kind of shows it's great but it kind of shows up our inability or the Beeb or ITV's inability to create even six episode seasons now because we kind of put all our eggs into one basket and I kind of want more I won six episodes. Church, I think, mm. was eight eight episodes. I believe. I can't remember how many it was. Decent though. That, that was good. Was, that yeah, that made a bit of an impact. I, at the moment, if we're talking about shows that are on TV right now, uh, I have to give shouts out to Yonderland on Sky One, which is fantastic. One of the funniest shows I've seen in a long, long time. Uh, in fact, we're in a very, very good time for comedy. But Yonderland is uh, from the Horrible Histories gang, and they they've basically teamed up, and it's kind of Muppets meets. Mighty Bush meets Horrible Histories uh, fantasy romp that is just as daft and as silly as you might expect if you've ever seen Horrible Histories and if you haven't I, I recommend you check it out even though it's aimed for kids it really isn't uh, and then there's um, Matt Berry's brilliant sitcom Toast of London which is on Channel 4 and it's coming to an end this weekend sadly this Sunday night and that is just daft and surreal and edgy and has the scariest Bruce Forsyth impression I've ever seen in my entire life so do check that one out as well and then going back I mean favourite TV shows Blackadder Garth Marenghi mm. Space Faulty Towers Faulty Towers Monty Python, Monty Python, Red know, Dwarf we could be here all day although I will I will have to go in here. one of my favourite TV shows and one of I believe the greatest dramas ever is uh, Cracker with Robbie Coltrane which I, I roll out every time there's a list of best TV shows it's astonishing uh if you haven't seen it, watch it. If you have, watch it again. Yeah. Now. And you talk about Luther, I've got a huge soft spot for uh, Inspector Morse, which I think paved the way for these long, very cinematic uh, TV shows and detective shows that, that followed in this wake. Love Morse. Much like Aloha Loaded. Much like Aloha Loaded. <laughs> yeah. The greatest of shows. Indeed. Also, it's not a drama, but I absolutely love this year. Educating Yorkshire was a great TV show. The final episode had me in tears. And uh, I think it was, was it last year? Utopia? I know I visit the set for it, so maybe I'm a little bit in the tank, but I thought that was a really brave, envelope-pushing, dark drama yeah. that Channel 4 did. And um, I couldn't watch all of it at once, because it really is quite grim sometimes. Yeah. But a great show. Check it out. Yellow Box. And we can't talk about great British TV shows without mentioning MasterChef The Professionals, which is on right now. Uh, <laughs> absolutely amazing. Michelle Rue Jr. at his finest. <laughs> do, do check that one out if you can. It's on the iPlayer. Oh, and uh, there's a show called Film 2013 as well. 
Um, no, it's rubbish. You might want to check that one out, especially last night's episode. <clears throat> uh, okay, Nick <laughs> at Nick Grimwood asks via Twitter: In light of the JCVD Falfo ad, what's your favourite TV ad featuring a movie star? Ali, I saw you. You did something. I wrote on the a huge feature on this. And my first feature is right for the website, and the first one I put up in the list of about fifty is Bruce Willis, not the Sky one. Bruce Willis back in the eighties, like before he was a big deal, before that one got banned. But before he was a big deal, he um, he sang the Seagram's Wine Coolers song, and he is wearing yes a, a vest, and he's hanging out with his buddies drinking a wine cooler, and he goes Seagram's Seagram's Wine Cooler. Amazing. That man was to appear in Die Hard, and he's was this before or after Die Hard about wine. Before it's like Ross Kemp turned up that advert for Fruit and Fiber. Way before he was famous. You can excuse the pre dar The thing is, the Sky advert with Bruce Willis makes me sad. It makes me sad. It's actually better than A Good Day to Die Hard, but nevertheless, <laughs> it makes me sad. Uh, my favourite advert, just to jump in, is uh, all of Arnold Schwarzenegger's Japanese ones. Have you seen the one for that little that, that little pop snap thing where it's just his laughing disembodied head going, oh! <laughs> and you're just like, what the hell has this got to do with snacks? Well, if we're talking about Japanese adverts, <laughs> Nick Cage's Pachinko adverts. Pachinko is this... Uh, re- I've been to Japan a few times. I've never understood Pachinko. It's an incredibly noisy. They have Pachinko parlours all over uh, Japanese cities, and they basically go in and you have to there are these games with numerous silver balls and it's the loudest thing you'll ever go into it's like a cacophonous noise and I don't understand how to play it and clearly Nick Cage doesn't either but he did, he did three adverts for Pachinko that end up with him doing it in, in Nick Cage style going Pachinko and just loving it Lufer? I was yeah. about to say Lufer Lufer um, I yeah I was going to say the, the Arnold Schwarzenegger Japanese ads as well Um a big sort of WTF to the uh, Nintendo ads with Penelope Cruz and Nicole Kidman, which were trying to convince us that these incredibly glamorous women sit around all day on their Nintendo DS. Or was, was it, it a PlayStation? Was it? No, it was DS. And I was a bit like, no, I'm sorry, I don't buy it for a second. Where no. do you stand on the current Dior advert that has Charlize Theron uh, teaming up with a bunch of dead movie stars including Marilyn Monroe I and, don't um, ent- well I don't approve first of all because it seems a bit uh, disrespectful to for example Marilyn Monroe's claim that she always wore Chanel number no. 5 in bed um, to suddenly have her you know shilling perfume for Dior seems a bit odd and it seems a bit odd that I'm protective of what she shilled when she was alive at the same time <laughs> I realise that but it, it's just it's really weird like the, the Audrey Hepburn is it Galaxy, it's one of the chocolates anyway, as well. It's just no, let the dead rest. No, bad. Sean Connery does an advert for Biogurt where he talks to a rabbit and then drives up a road and says, Biogurt. There's another great one involving Brad Pitt in Japan and he's in a tiny yellow car and there's a market. Basically, they're all Japanese. And it's really weird. In fact, I, I think you'd struggle to find an actor who hasn't done a ridiculous mm. advert but you can, you can picture the conversation that agent comes to him and say right Brad we've got a job for you it pays five million dollars it will take you three hours you look like an absolute knob end but no one will ever see it outside of Japan yes yeah. except now, we have YouTube hell yes. we'd take it yeah. Um, I, the, the, one that's get, the one that's getting me at the moment is the perfume ads um, you know we've, we've had the uh, the Dior one we've already discussed. There's Natalie Portman doing Miss Dior, I think, and there's mm. Kira Knightley doing one of the Chanel's, where she jumps out a window and onto a bike and drives off. But it yeah, just seems does. it seems un- unreal that in the time it takes a man to walk across a room and turn a key in a lock, 
she's able to get back into her fitted cat suit, <laughs> jump out a window and onto a bike. That's the magical powers of whatever perfume it is she happens to be advertising at the time, Ellen. Oh, I see. I'm so, sorry I didn't realise. So there you go. There's um, uh, People say they're talking about Japanese adverts, but it is becoming more prevalent as star- big stars coming over here and doing mm. adverts. Obviously, we mentioned Bruce Willis on Sky. Al Pacino does a Sky advert as well. I want a quick shout out for William Shatner in the Priceline adverts. Oh, yeah. Uh, the one with him and Lennon Amoy. Uh, is great and there's another one which has another famous person in it anyway watch them all and, and Shatner and Mr T advertising Warcraft was pretty awesome yes. I don't play Warcraft but those adverts almost made me want to think about not playing it and I loved Mr T's Snickers advert and I really like the one with Joan Collins at the moment yes I yeah, do too it's yeah. fun. in fact there are American versions of those adverts as well and Robin Williams is one of, the, is one of them Ooh. yeah as an American football coach and he turns out to obviously not be Robin Williams but uh yeah, check those out. All right, you can get in touch with us via the following channels. We're on Twitter as at Empire Magazine. You can use the hashtag Empire Podcast, otherwise we won't see it. We're on Facebook, Empire Magazine on Facebook. Do like us or throw a sheep at us, whatever it is you want to do. And you can email us podcast at empireonline.com. Oh, and a particular thanks this week to Casey Bennett from Albuquerque, New Mexico, who, as well as presumably being a meth kingpin, sent in 20 questions via email for the podcast this week I uh, didn't get around to them this week because they arrived slightly too late but we will answer them or some of them very very soon Heisenberg okay time for our first interview Stanley Tucci and Elizabeth Banks are two of the linchpins of the Hunger Games as it enters its second movie Tucci of course is a peacocking TV host Caesar Flickerman and Banks is a brittle and eccentric Effie Trinket they're also of course two brilliant actors who've carved out interesting and diverse careers as two of the greatest 27 presenters around we sent Ali and Helen along to talk to them and things got a little sweary so if you're of a sensitive disposition you might want to skip the first fucking 30 seconds or so enjoy okay so our podcast interviews uh, basically anything goes you can go off on tangents you can talk about whatever you can swear it's so it's just fuck F, you know yeah, yeah, absolutely. 24-7 just, right. sure that's not even a swear here, is it? Nothing no. is a swear. Here, is it? <laughs> I know. It's no, hard to fantastic. insult someone here. Yeah. You're, you can't be an alcoholic and you... and. No, there's no such thing. No such thing, really. I mean, they pretend, but... No. Sure. Fuck is hello. Fuck, yeah. Right. Yeah, fuck is yeah. just hello. Yeah. Yeah. So... Fuck so Stan- fuck you and fuck you. Yeah, yes. Fuck Stanley. Fuck Elizabeth. It's yeah. great to have you on here. Yeah. Sure. Thank you. You fucking cunt. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. There you go. That's like a. That's right. you yeah, just. That's the nicest thing you could say. Yeah. yeah. I'm gonna actually. Right. I'm gonna call up my mum and say. Right. You know, Stanley Tucci called me a fucking cunt. So right. she'll be really pleased. She'll yeah. be so that's proud. Oh. I always liked. <laughs> my opening question seems quite tame now, uh, but I'm gonna ask it anyway. There is a bit in the film, Stanley, where you say the words. To Jennifer Lawrence, you say, oh, girl on fire, you are a cheeky one. And then you laugh, that laugh that I can't do. I was wondering whether you could help me do the ha, 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 ha. Uh, here's the thing. I haven't seen the movie. No. I, I, really? I, no, I haven't seen it. So Your teeth are amazing. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. I grew them for the film. I know. All in um, what? Such an accomplishment. No, no, no. No, no, no he doesn't. No, no, I would just slip him right in there. The, the, la- I don't know. Is that what I do? Is it like a, ha, like a ha, ha, ha. Is it's, it like that? It's like when you see it in Thank a comic you. book, they'd write it, ha, 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 ha. And you go, that's not real. Right. But then you make it real. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Time. I don't know. I don't know. It just came out. I don't know. I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. But maybe if you watch the movie a few times, then you can practice it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, the, you know. it's the only reason I'll see yeah. it again, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> <It's just laughs> For that moment and that laugh, yeah. I'll just leave. 
after that. Yeah. I, I've got to say, I, I was going to kind of ask something similar because Caesar very much leads with his teeth. The first thing you see of him as he comes on stage is these blinding white yeah. teeth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and Effie, I don't know if it's the eyelashes that are kind of her thing or, or just the dress. She walk, always walks a certain way as well. The walking is uh, because I can barely move in the clothes. It's just the constriction of the construction of the clothing that requires me to only take four inch steps at any given time. Um, but of course, is that's that, Effie's that really, walk. That's that really Effie's true? walk. But I really yeah, they're like, like the you, they're like no slits yeah. in anything, and I'm wearing, you know, I'm basically on stilts instead yeah. of shoes, right? Which I also am on today, stupidly. Um, but yeah, so it all comes from you know that little the little wiggle. It's great. Also, I just like my ass. It's the best part. It's the best feature of my body. It's right. it's interesting that isn't on the poster. I, it's interesting, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Fascinating. Well, maybe the DVD. I don't know who what thought process went yeah. into that, but mm. yeah. didn't feature it. Right. Well, now the movie's not going to do well. <laughs> you know, my nickname's yeah. Back It Up Banks. Is it? It is. Wow. Yeah. God, I'm learning so much about I know, you. Right, I really don't know you at all. I know. We, we met for a second. Like a second. When we were shooting the last one, but literally, I was going. I was. It was my yeah. last day, and she was coming. Yep. Yeah, that was mm-hmm. it. I mean, how long did you both spend on, on set this time? I have uh, no idea. I was only there for a week. Yeah, yeah, I was yeah. there a bit longer. But, you know, we're on a victory tour, so we've got a lot to do in this film. Effie's <laughs> got a lot to take care of this time <laughs> yes. around. Yeah. You, you both, uh, you know, have your looks. I'm just wondering who actually takes longer to get ready in the morning. You got a little bit of pink in there. <laughs> yeah, it, it takes a while. It takes a while. But we got it down to about an hour. Yeah. It wasn't so bad. I'm, it's, so it's disastrous it for me. Is it hours? I'm a three to four hours. What? Yeah. From arrival to set, three hours minimum. Oh, my God. But I, it's all right. I'm the first one. I, t- I take a nap, so it works out. <laughs> in, the, in the middle of a scene. I'm literally yeah. the first person yeah. in the trailer every morning. There is a point in the film where you cannot see anybody else on screen. And I don't know the terminology, but the back of your dress. is so huge. It's like a throne yeah. that comes behind your head. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, you, you. It was you, a cape, actually, that we put that we put up with with stilts. Uh, it, it, I think, it has some very simple boning in it, but um, it was an issue on set because it was like, well, you can't see Katniss and Peeta, and they're <laughs> right. they're pretty important to the yeah, story. Kind of. uh, but Effie doesn't keeps care. Blowing over, <laughs> right? Talking about upstaging. I mean, yeah, so, yeah, that scene stealing. Scene blocking. Scene Full on yeah. with the clothes, blocking so, everything. So I mean, we should actually probably touch on the film a little bit more yeah. we're going to be talking to Why? francis as Why well so he, well, he, he can do the heavy lift, he lifting do but it, i mean it is uh, it's a lot you know it's a cliche to say, say the sequel's darker but you know the stakes are even higher this time which, which seemed kind of impossible last time and i think effie especially has a little bit of a kind of crisis of conscience mm-hmm, absolutely yeah. yeah yeah i call this the evolution of effie um she certainly evolves I, you know i think that at any given time there are people who are um well all the time people who are resistant to change who love the status quo Effie's very entitled to the life that she leads and um, you know she's really confronted in this film with the cruelty of the capital it's very personal to her I don't think she's ever had a victor I think she's used to sending kids into the Hunger Games and they never come back so she actually had not one but two victors got to know them was at the height of her professional career and it's all taken away from her so it's very you know it's, it really does become very personal in this movie, I mean, there's there's the evolution of, of your character, mm-hmm. but but Stanley, you I mean, don't take this as an insult, but you get to just get in there for a week and ham it up, like mm-hmm. really go to town. Was there any point where where the director Francis Lawrence said that's too much? 
can we can we have less of that or was he just like go nuts the thing about this character is that he he almost can't do too much in a way do you know what i mean it's so huge i mean obviously the tone has to be pretty consistent within its scope sure. but, but you know he's so huge i think it i think it you can go really really far and that was one of the things that really attracted me hmm. you know to 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 it and then once you put all the stuff on you start to you, you go even farther and you and sometimes you can't you just can't stop you know um so luckily no for, i didn't go too far uh, maybe on the next one i yeah, sure. You know, you don't meet very many capital citizens in these films. So Stanley and I, you know, we represent the excess yeah. of the capital. Yeah. You know, we are the manifestation of everything that's wrong in Panem. So you, you really can't go. I mean, I, you know, the clothes are, they're insane. I mean, they're, yeah. they're unwearable yeah. on purpose. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's just an exact, it's, it's an exaggeration. It's where, it's where we, we could end up. Sure. In 50 years. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I mean, there are cer certain places, if you look at Caesar Flickerman or you look at, you know, I mean, there are people who look like that. I mean, yeah. you know, like go to Las Vegas. You should go I mean, to they look like, yeah. they actually do look like that, you know, L.A. Yeah. And, and, and also, I mean, you, you get the impression when, when you're watching Caesar on stage that he's, you know, he's, he's actually kind of a, a professional and he's getting kind of irritated. There's a little bit of sort of panic under the, under the surface there when things don't quite go to plan and you can see him kind of struggling to keep control of it so th th there's kind of there's layers there to his yeah there has to be i mean you have to see that little those little mm. moments of humanity that he you know otherwise it's just it doesn't yeah. it doesn't really mean anything but that but everything's starting to fracture yeah so, yeah and, and we're you know i think that's the other thing that um you see about these capital citizens is that there is fear there you know mm. they understand there are consequences if it doesn't go right, yeah, you know, I mean, we, we're on a yeah. we're on a very public stage in front of President Snow, and don't don't fuck it up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, their their fear in a weird way. See, they have everything to lose. Yeah. The, the the other kids, they have nothing to lose, so they can really. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. I mean, they're gonna die, or they're gonna be poor, right? And die, you know. <laughs> so I mean, the, but these guys are on this very precarious, mm. you know, like any. When you're uh, when you're when you buy into any dictatorship, you're always walking on that very fine that very fine line. And they're right under Snow's nose as well. Yeah, yeah, right yes. there in the spotlight. Yeah. yeah, you, Sammy, have the most amazingly bad teeth in Jack the Giant Slayer, mm. and amazingly good teeth. Mm. Was any of good, that bad teeth? Good, yeah. oh, <laughs> yeah. the most excellent right. bad teeth. Yeah. How was that done? Was that was that was that like genuinely? I'm curious as to whether that was blacked out teeth or and, and no no we we make we make, i go to a guy who makes them you, you and, know a yeah we design them together so i say this is what i want i want this to be like this and this it's an tooth art. to be like yeah. this yeah it's really fun less on and the inside and it helps i did it for the lovely bones too i just changed you don't really see them but it just changed that little bit the shape of the face and the way you talk just a little bit you know it's not really about acting it's just about some sort of Trickery. For trickery. That's all it is. You know, you put something in your mouth that makes you talk differently, and there you go. That's that. And people go, wow, what are you wow, doing? What a genius. Yeah. Oh, right, yeah. You don't have a box all of all your teeth, do you? A box of all my teeth? Yeah. No, that would be really disgusting. That <laughs> would be weird. <laughs> it's Halloween. It's time for, I think, Hunger They're Games. in a display oh, case yeah. with lights. Only my dentures, you know. But no, no. But, I I, but it. it helps. That teeth thing really helps it me. It all helps. It yeah. helps, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's I mean, no like Effie without it. the shoes. Right. You know? right. When the, the clothes 
Yeah, you there's no Caesar without their teeth. Yeah, I, I would love to see Yeffy on her off day just wearing a pair of like tracksuit. That never happens. There's yeah. no off day. There's no off day for Effie. Even the tracksuit is like sequined. <laughs> <laughs> Were you tempted to dress up as these characters for Halloween? Did I? No. That'd be weird. <laughs> I do home. love how other people do that. I collect the Twitter photos. Oh, do yeah. you? I love it, sure. What do you mean? People dress up as... As Effie and oh, then really? send me photos. Yeah, I'm really? especially popular in West Hollywood. Are you really? <laughs> I bet. Yes. Yeah. I, wow. That's the first thing I'm doing when I get home. It's looking those yeah. up. Those yeah. yeah, it's incredible. And like little kids who do it, someone dressed their dog as Effie. Yeah, it was great. A real was... tribute to me when a, yeah, <laughs> when a dog... A dog. Yeah. Hold the Oscar. Yes, 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 yes. I hope it was a poodle. It was not a poodle, but it was a cute dog. Yeah, they gave her. They gave this dog pink hair and everything. Oh my god! I mean, it's great. Really? Yeah. I mean, speaking of Oscars, has Jennifer changed? <laughs> what is yes. that? Yes, she's completely different. Yeah, yeah. 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 She's horrible. Is she's? Um, I don't even know what that means. I don't know what it means. No, no. no I, I mean, she no. said herself. Apparently, change. she was she was coming back on set, and she was like, "Right, people." You know, things are going to change around here. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that was Nobody, it. she has yeah. a pet monkey and no one looks her in the eye. <laughs> right. Or the monkey. Yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. <laughs> if you do it both at the same time, that's fine. The but... monkey carries the Oscar around <laughs> yeah. to remind everybody who's boss. Yeah, and she never comes out of her trailer. No, mm. not even. She's to... CGI'd into wow. the film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's not actually she even doesn't... in the film anymore. Hi, Jen, how are you? <laughs> so many trade secrets so coming bored. It's incredible. So bored, my publicist. <laughs> They're so bored. Both of them. I know. So bored. First interview of the day. The boredom yeah, is... I know. She yeah. can't wait till it's over. <laughs> so are we in the middle of the press tour right now? Or is this the beginning? How, uh, have you been doing stuff? Closer to the beginning. Yeah, yeah. We, we're, uh, we're... This is day four. Oh, day four. Okay. Yeah. This is my first day. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So you're fresh anyway. I'm fresh. Yeah. Can't you tell? <laughs> I'm, th- I'm three days. <laughs> three days in. In. Yeah. It sounds like a sentence. Day four. Yeah. Mm. It's... Your hotel room is four chalk Guys, lines. we love this yeah. movie. We're proud of this <laughs> yes, movie. It's so great. We can't it's, it's talk about it enough. Yeah. I mean, you've yeah. seen it, and that's how much you love it. I, I Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's sure one of the best movies I really haven't is. seen. Yeah. It's one of the best movies that Stanley <laughs> yeah. Tucci has the, never seen. That's right. the tagline to go beneath the poster of mm-hmm. Effie's backside. See it before Stanley Tucci does. Yeah. Right. <laughs> 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 um, I'm going to go even more left field than we are now, but we do something on the website on Empire Online, which is oh, uh, called the Movie Poster Mashup. Oh, don't get worried. No, don't get worried. Like no, it's not like that. I know what you're thinking. It's not that. It's called the Movie Poster Mashups. Yeah. And what we do is we essentially, it's a, a riot of puns where we just take a series of puns and, and do what we can so do. So clever. Yes. I know, right? You know, yes. we're Brits. We just love puns. <laughs> I love mm-hmm. it. We call it humor. Then we just go home. Uh, <laughs> no, but there's something about your name, Stanley, your surname, which gives people great cause to pun. Really? Yes, as in someone makes a good joke involving the Hunger Games, touche, touche, that right. sort of thing. I was wondering whether people, you know, play with your name like that, or is it just, you know, and say, you know, Film Geeks on our website? I think it might just be <laughs> Film Geeks on website, because I don't, I don't really know. Oh, no. No, I swear to God, I'm sorry, it isn't as... I, I don't know, I, I haven't... I it's, mean, it's not usually people just can't pronounce it, which to me at this point is like, yeah, that's kind of weird. weird. It's like... What, what do they go for? You know. Hmm? What do they go for? Tuki? Touchy? Touchy, yeah, yeah. touchy. Toothy? 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 Only in certain sense. parts. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, so it's not really, you know. I was just in China, and that was inter- That was a very, <laughs> so many different pronunciations of the of my last name. Stop bragging, that going to really, China. Yeah, right? How dare you? Yeah. Well, surely everybody's so going to China special. nowadays, you know. Yeah. Big, important movie market nowadays. Huge. I've never been to China. Huge. Don't worry about it. Darn it. Well, I mean... Uh, 
if this makes you feel better, I was at a pitch perfect ACA along. Yeah, you were. <laughs> so, you know, you've got your, your own. Not little, in China. Though. Not in China, in London. But, you know, it's still international. So, yes. um, so are you aware of this as a phenomenon? There were there were confetti cannons during the big finale. Wow. It was pretty cool. Where yeah. was That's this? so awesome. I Prince love Charles. it. I'm so excited. Yeah, we get, no, I, we get, um, we, we do see a lot of, uh, a lot of, especially online. Everybody likes to share on social media when they're at their sing-alongs. It's pretty great. It was awesome. It was we're really we're very excited about it. I produced Pitch Perfect. Well, you produced mm-hmm. it. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes. Oh, fantastic. It's wow. Like my it's a life's shame work. it didn't do well. <laughs> yeah, it's a bummer. Oh, my God. My kids have seen it 8,000 times. <laughs> I know. And I also it's get great. to have it's a really fun great. time in it. Yeah, yes. that's great. Yeah. I didn't know you produced it as well. Yes. That's wonderful. Thank you. As the producer, can you tell us anything about whether we'll see more of the gang anytime soon? What's the situation? We're there? hard at work on a sequel. Yeah. I don't, it won't be out till 2015. Yeah. That's one hell of a year you're, you're launching Pinch Perfect into, Pitch Perfect 2 into. Into 2015? Yeah. You've Why? Got, you've got your Avengers, you've got Superman your... Batman, oh, Star Wars. Mm. I know. Perfect. It'll be right. it's, it's perfect. It's, it's a, well, it's, it's a little antidote. movie that could, so yeah. exactly. I'm promising a bunch of uh, misfits. <laughs> I'm promising more of, the, of our gang of misfits trying to sing. I was going to say, will, will there be more singing from you? Gail Abernathy McCadden so far has not sang in Pitch Perfect. I don't know. We'll see. She is an alumni of the group The Minstrel Cycles. So you're not gonna. So you're not. The is very funny. Yeah. So you're not. You're not gonna sing. I don't know. We ha- we haven't determined that yet. Do you sing? Uh, not well. No. No. Yeah. It's no. not. It's not normally for public consumption. Right. Now they've got auto tune. Now it'd be fine. It wouldn't be a problem. That's fine. I will completely embarrass myself for t- if it sells more tickets to right. Perfect. <laughs> right. That's how I make that's, a living. That, by the way, I, that's uh, what I'm doing it. right that's now. Right. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, All it is. No difference, really. Yeah. No difference. <laughs> no. For me, it was a book I was totally unaware of. I mean, unlike Harry Potter, which when it came along, you went, "Okay, I'm heard. I've heard of this." But Hunger Games kind of blew me sideways. Have you been having people? coming up to you regularly in the street talking about this rather than your other films? You know, I avoid the street at all times. The street is bad. <laughs> you do not like the street. I just don't go to the street. When was no. the last time you were on a street? Ooh, it's mm. been a while. It's been a while. Yeah. They're getting good. Streets? Yeah. Yeah. They're better now. They're yeah. better now. Yeah. Look, I don't, I don't try to make contact, eye contact with like a group. If there's like a posse of 12-year-old girls, yeah. I don't, I turn I, the other way. I, yeah. Honestly. I know what you mean. (laughs) They're scary. I know. They scare me. I remember being 12 and being like insane for things. It's scary. And they'll do anything. They don't care. Does it help that you look different to these characters? It does. does. But they they know instantly. I don't know how they know, but they know. Yeah. They know. I know what you mean, though. I know what you mean. Yeah. (laughs) Walking someplace. Especially if it's like with my kids or something. It's, It's always a little, you know. I love your use of the word posse. I just imagine them all with six shooters. Just Well, the six shooters are now just their cell phones. That's what <laughs> yeah, it is. It's know, just they all come out of their cases, and it's like bang, 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 bang. But very sweet. I'm excited. I'm, I'm, look, I love the passion of the fans. I wouldn't be doing this if, if they weren't that passionate. It's amazing. Now, we've got to wrap up very soon. I was wondering if we could find a new word for goodbye. We've already nailed hello. It's Tucci. Obviously. Tucci. Tucci. Yes. Tucci. Tucci. Right. Tucci. Tucci to everyone. Right. Tucci to everyone. Yes. Exactly. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thanks, you guys. Thanks, guys. Yep. Awesome. Awesome. Okay, let's move on to movie news. And there's a lot of movie news. Not a lot of time to talk about the movie news. So let's talk about the movie news very quickly. Movie news. 
TV news, actually, from me. I've oh, got Helen. a double bill. I'm sorry. Uh, it's a case of uh, giveth and taketh away today. Uh, <laughs> Uh, for Neil Gaiman fans at least so okay. uh, Neil Gaiman's Sandman stories which is uh, a massive comic opus it is absolutely fantastic if you haven't read it go and read it you can buy the whole nine volumes basically or get them from your local library or my get favourite the... Thomas Hayden Church yeah I'm just going to ignore that and uh, and or you can get the four you know lovely beautiful hardback editions which I have anyway nerd I know totally <laughs> and one of them signed by Gaiman amazing anyway so they are trying they've been trying to bring this to the screen for about forever um, and it looks like it's there's another attempt coming David Goyer who is a man who can get this stuff done um, is apparently behind a new version uh, which is which is in talks at Warner's it would be for probably TV um, but it looks like it might just happen there is also talk and it is only chatter at this point it is in no way confirmed that they're trying to get Joseph Gordon-Levitt on board to play Morpheus himself the Sandman this would be a TV show then yeah this would be a TV show it's all rumour right now um, and it's you know we, we have no idea but yes that's the plan now I, I mean Warner's has been apparently courting Joseph Gordon-Levitt for basically everything every superhero going Batman like Batman Batman no, would you like would Superman you? no pretty much yeah Wonder, Wonder Woman I mean he's great he's got cred he's a good actor and he also has you know his own sensibility and is a huge fan base of his own so it's a really interesting idea um, I think he could be fa- a fairly good Morpheus actually um, because he can do kind of brooding and you know romantic mm. disaster rather well um, I'm not sure it'd been my first choice, but if it gets it made, that'd be interesting. So that's the that's the upside. That's the giveth part of the story. So does the S in David S. Goyer stand for Sandman, Sandman showrunner man? That's person, right. Man. How, how do you personally? I mean, you, you seem quite positive about this because when the whole preacher thing yeah. came about, we were all a little bit mortified by it. Mm. And I mean, I certainly don't... I, I just feel that nothing good can come of that. And I'm not I'm not as big a fan of Sam and as I am of Preacher, so I'm surprised you're quite so optimistic. Well, I believe optimism is always the correct default position at, at such an early stage. I mean, the the issue is, what the heck do you do with Sandman? Some of the best Sandman stories barely feature him. Um, and so you you probably be focusing on the ones that do, which are in some ways you know, a little bit less exciting and less what made the comic what it is. Um, but, you know, I think there's there's scope for doing something kind of cool. And the overall arc of the character is a really, really fascinating one that hasn't been done on screen and hasn't, you know, could, you know, could be up there and sort of breaking bad levels of, of, you know, epicness, I guess. So I think there's probably a story there that could be told brilliantly, whether it will... You know, we'll have to see. I don't know, but but yeah, I'm I'm intrigued. The take of the way part of the story, by the way, is the less uh, positive news that HBO is no longer developing Neil Gaiman's American Gods, which is a bit of a shame. I thought that was a really good fit of of you know channel and material, um, but I guess with you know several other really big ticket shows in development, notably Game of Thrones, they might feel that it, it kind of overlaps on that territory a little bit. And you know, fair enough, it's going to be another very expensive show to make right I would imagine so that's apparently going somewhere else and we're going to see where that is but I'm, I've still got my fingers crossed that that will happen because that I think is actually more suited to the screen maybe even than Sandman we didn't talk Preacher last week did we let's come to light in the last week it has yes that's yeah. very true we should talk about it now yeah the, uh, so the Preacher TV show that's been announced on AMC with possibly Seth Rogen's involvement he tweeted something uh, last week saying uh, 
hopefully something I've been working on for the last seven years is finally going to happen then about 30 minutes later Preacher announced sorry, Preacher was announced <clears throat> and then about 25 minutes after that Seth Rogen tweeted Arseface uh, Saint of Killers John Wayne we were all characters in Garth Ennis's and Steve Dillon's amazing Preacher mm. comic book series for Helen uh, it is my favourite comic book mm. uh, of all time and it is something I've long wanted to see brought to the big screen and I say the big screen because I don't think the small screen can do Garth Ennis's vision justice uh, especially on AMC yes they're the, the, the network that did Breaking Bad but they won't be able to go where Preacher goes they just won't they just can't and they should leave it alone. But in a but in a film running time, you wouldn't be able to cover a fraction of you, that story. Uh, I think you could do a trilogy. You could really absolutely boil it down. But in terms of the content of Preacher, I just don't think that AMC, uh, any network apart from say maybe uh, HBO or maybe a Showtime, would allow someone to go to the places that Preacher goes. I don't know. I think AMC, I don't think you give them enough credit. I think Breaking Bad took it to some interesting places, and I think The Walking Dead is absolutely vile a lot of the time. Um, it's, not, it's, not, it's not a question of that. It's, it's also a question of language. Uh, Preacher is a very, very sweary comic. Garth Ennis is a very, very sweary Northern Irishman. <laughs> Probably one of the reasons why I like him so much. But uh, I think that's, a, that's an integral part of the language yeah, of Preacher. Yeah, no, that's true. And uh, AMC is the network that allowed Breaking Bad one fuck a season, mm. uh, two towards the, uh, two in the early stages and two towards the end. I just don't think you're going to be, get the poetry of Cassidy, the Irish vampire, for example, no. a, across in a, in a sort of somewhat neutered uh, environment. I think that's fair. But if they were to class, say, Scott Glenn as Scent of Killers, I'd be happy. So that's good. I believe he's been practicing for the role for the last 35 years. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we can all agree that Seth Rogen will make an excellent arse face. So, so <laughs> that's good too. It's, 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 yeah, I, I love the comic book so much. If you haven't checked out uh, Garth Ennis's preach and Steve Dillon's preach, yeah, let's give do it. props to the amazing yes. art by Steve Dillon. The 66 issues, that's all it is. The, the, uh, you, can, you can go out there and read it all. I do love comics city. with a beginning, a middle and an end. I like Sandman. I like Sandman and Preacher. Absolutely. Like Spider-Man. <laughs> Ali, what do you got? I've got a bit of news that was then uh, rewound like this and was no longer made news, but it's still news in its own way. It's a Wonderful Life. There was a sequel planned. The trouble is they don't have any official rights from the owners of both the original source and the film itself, Paramount. No one sent them a letter. There was no request made. I've read a story about It's a Wonderful Life 2. And I think uh, the rights situation has changed, and it is back. The, the rights are held by someone now, and so it is difficult. Apparently, you know, I read a story in the Hollywood Reporter basically said it's not going to happen. Um, a bit like the Raging Bull two sequel, that uh, the Raging yes, Bull sequel that was, that was we talked about in the podcast a while went. ago. But that, yeah, that just that just went. It's not like uh, uh, if anyone listened to the George Romero podcast recently. He talked about how. The right situation for Night of the Living Dead. He never really owned the rights to that, and so he's been stiffed on it over the years. And that is in the public domain. If you wanted to go out today and and make your own version of Night of the Living Dead, you could absolutely do that. I don't recommend it, but you could do that. The thing is about this one is that they wanted to call it It's a Wonderful Life, the rest of the story. That there tells me that they have the creative <laughs> insight <laughs> that can make this fly. Yeah. <laughs> Producers... I don't even want to. It's just I just don't see it. That's happening. just not. I think it's just like as you say, it's just like Renewable Two, and I think it's a bit, bit like the Queen uh, slash Freddie Mercury biopic, where it won't necessarily be that they own the rights to the film, but there'll be some character or the name or whatever will still be in rights. There will be bells and angels with wings, or not, like, like Constantine. Um, yes, uh, Ali, you've got some big news. 
huge well, news. It is huge. It's certainly huge for me. Uh, and it's huge for anybody who knows what the words Eric the Half a B mean or Hell's Grannies. Uh, Monty <laughs> Python are back together again, reuniting like Led Zeppelin for a one-off O2 show in London town on the 1st of July, 2014. You can buy tickets for their one-off show, which is called, in typical florid Monty Python fashion, Monty Python Live. <laughs> it does have a subtitle. The subtitle is One Down, Five to Go. And there's a great, great drawing uh, which has a graveyard and the massive foot you know and love. The massive oh, foot is there, stomping it. on a grave in the graveyard. And in the corner, there's a white angel with a kind of go go dancer's legs and little red shoes. Anyway, so yeah, they had a uh, special announcement uh, ceremony at the Playhouse Theatre down near the Embankment in London, which is where, surprise, surprise, Spamalot is currently on. You can see Warwick Davis uh, do his thing there. And mm. uh, he actually was the host of the press conference. And uh, all five of them had a lot of fun because I was lucky enough to be there. But they all sat down where their names weren't. So John Cleese sat in Terry Gilliam's place. And whenever somebody asked a question from the crowd that they didn't want to respond, they just took the question for the other person. So Eric Idle goes, well, being Terry Gilliam, I've been doing absolutely appalling animation for years now, and I thought I might just do some more one last time, uh, that sort of thing. So, yes, there, there, there's a question mark to um, be drawn at the end of this sentence, and the sentence being, really? It's <laughs> a long sentence. Uh, because they're old. They're in their 70s now. Like, they last did a show... In the Hollywood Bowl in 1980. Which is fantastic, by the way. It's a stunning uh, audio yeah. album. I grew up listening to the records of all of their... I grew up watching the VHS. I taped off the telly. Tape off the and telly. It is amazing. Torre Melados and all that sort of stuff. Do you remember that, yeah. kids? Taping off the telly. Do you remember VHS, children? No, uh, you don't. Do you remember later discs? I'm, I'm hugely excited about this. Uh, I am even going to forego if we get tickets for this. Uh, I imagine hopefully they'll add another couple of days because I imagine these tickets will sell out on Monday in about five nanoseconds. Uh, I am even going to forego watching two World Cup second round games which clash with this Monty Pythonathon uh, on the 1st of July 2014. I thought I might be able to squeeze in the 5 o'clock, but I definitely would be able to watch the 9 o'clock game. And that's how much Python means to me. That's how much this reunion means to me. It's fantastic. Python back together. This is what we've been wanting for ages. We've, we've had Eric Idle. In this very booth, I think between the two of us, we managed to interview all the Pythons over the last 12 months or so. And not an inkling, not a... So, you spoke to them all yesterday. When was this on the agenda? So, whenever Terry Jones uh, said to me in Derby in, back in, in May that they're not going to reunite, was he telling me porcupines? Well, I think it was genuinely recent. Uh, Michael Palin was telling me it was when, within the last two months they started concocting the idea. And it wasn't one of them that said, hey, we should do this. One of their managers... I forget the name of, just said in the middle of a meeting because infrequently, and I love this idea, they meet up in a restaurant in a hotel and they just sit down and have a conversation and sometimes it's just to see how each other are but for the most part it's just sorting out finances and stuff. So Michael Palin said to me, yeah one of the managers said, the O2 and everyone went, hang on, that's not a bad idea I got a more frank response from uh, uh, a certain Mr John Cleese who said we owe our lawyers about £800,000 <laughs> And uh, we've got a few more debts that we have to pay off, so um, there is that. That's amazing, though, because you imagine that they're just all rolling in cash. Terry Jones, because uh, this was revealed in the newspaper, I will mention because it's a rag, um, but this was revealed 
a couple of days before the announcement was made at the press conference. And uh, Terry Jones was quoted as saying, uh, it's a lovely idea, I hope you make a lot of money, I want to pay off my mortgage. It's just, I, I, I find it unfathomable that all the Pythons aren't rolling in cash, obviously with the exception of Graham Chapman, who has ruled himself out for the foreseeable future. Yes, he's, he's a no, he's a no. And they won't be replacing him, there's not going to be a, oh well, for tonight, Eddie Izzard will be playing the role of that's not going to happen and they're not going to bring in guest stars uh, that isn't their plan they want to keep it kind of a refreshed and uh, kind of tweaked versions of the greatest hits and it's with great pleasure that I actually reminded Terry Jones that you know I said to him please I was a really big fan of Hell's Grannies and I don't think it gets enough credit and he said oh um do you have a pen (laughs) and I didn't have a pen so he had to go up to the nearest uh, like just person in the room and just said Pen, 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 and then just wrote in capital letters, Hell's Grannies. Right. So if that's in the show, right. I'm taking full credit because they forgot to put it in. That's amazing. So it's going to be some new material. It's going to be a lot of old sketches. I'm intrigued to see how they fit Terry Gilliam in because obviously he wasn't a big part of the of the sketch troupe necessarily. Are they going to do bits from the movies? Are they going to do... Because essentially Python, uh, Grail, Life of Brian, Meaning of Life, especially Meaning of Life, are, are basically just sketches strung together by the loosest thematic thread. Well... As I said, you know, 1980 was the last time they really performed together, sketch-wise. And if you remember your Monty Python dates, 1983. So that's 30 years ago that The Meaning of Life came out. 30 years ago, which is astonishing for me. That came out three years after that. So they haven't used stuff from that on stage shows. Yeah. So they are planning to do Every Sperm is Sacred. They're going to do that. Yeah, and I don't want to reveal too much because, you know, we're going to be writing at length about this, but there are lots of stuff that film fans fans of the Monty Python films can look forward to I've got a few details here and there and uh, yes singing will be involved and it's funny to hear them because I said to to Michael Palin so Michael how's your singing voice and he was like oh (laughs) (laughs) (coughs) (coughs) yeah so pretty good Anyway, so yeah, Chris and I are very excited. And, I'm so um, very jealous of you yesterday. I was in a in a in a very warm uh, hall in Coventry watching snooker while you were meeting all of the Pythons. Yeah, it was a, it was an incredible day, and I um, I really can't. For you, it was an incredible day it, for you. It, it, it was terrible for them. You can't be any more clear about this. It was an incredible day for you. I was watching snooker in Coventry, which was fine. I saw three century breaks. It was okay, but you met all the pythons. Yeah, probably probably won won that day. Uh, so yeah, do look out for more details on this in the mag. In the magazine, yes, uh, the one on sale uh, December thirty first, because we're perverse and that's the way we work in magazines. But you can also read some uh, uh, the transcript of the press conference. Is that correct? It's going to be on the website. The press conference is actually available in about fourteen different video locations on YouTube. Okay, well there you go. So you can check it out there. Um, anyway, here's to that. Uh, apologies for maybe nerding out a little too much. Uh, I don't think we nerded out enough, to be honest. Uh, we'll have to have a Python special around the time. We'll have to get them all in. Oh my God, how good would that be? Uh, and by the way, the tickets go on sale nine o'clock Monday. Monday, yes, and the website is called, and again, this is genius, MontyPythonLive.com. Please don't go on until five past nine just to give Ali and myself a chance to book some tickets. That would be great. The lowest ticket is £27.50. The most expensive ticket is up towards the £90 mark. My incredibly quick story is a monstrous exclusive, something which came crashing out of the blue, and it is incontrovertible proof 
that the astromech droid R2-D2 will be in episode 7. We what? have photographic evidence <gasps> of R2 on set with director J.J. Abrams and, and Kathleen Kennedy. In other news, space will continue to be a black vacuum <laughs> and planets will often be round. Amazing. Yeah. I, I heard that the trash compactor's agent is holding out for a bigger deal. This I heard this also. Yeah. So yeah. fingers crossed, I really hope we get to see him back in action. I really cannot wait until actual Star Wars news arrives, as opposed to the whole internet scrabbling around for things like, oh, there's a colon in the title, there's a colon. Yeah, honestly. Don't you get me started on the colon. Yeah, the colon the was quite controversial. Like maybe a bit of casting. Have they put a colon on RTD2's name? Is it R2 colon D2 now? They've done that? They're still sticking with the hyphen. There was a time where it was leaning towards an M dash, but I think it has gone back to, to hyphen levels. Thank Christ wow. for that. The one slightly interesting thing about this is that the RTD2 they will be using is a fan's or two fans' own creation. Yeah, that's really cool. But they've got, got their animatronic mm. R2, which I think we've probably seen at Comic-Con. I remember seeing it there one year. Yeah. Um, it's awesome. I don't think um, Kenny Baker agrees with you. Well, perhaps not. I'm sure Kenny Baker will be involved. Yes, in, I'm sure at he will. Some point. He'll be operating the remote control. He will be. Uh, all right, moving on. Sure. Okay. So next week, it's Thanksgiving in the States, so we're expecting the movie news to be few and far between. So if anyone there out there can just send us in some games or something we can play, maybe some quiz up again, we can do that on, live on the podcast. That'd be quite fun. Uh, okay, time for the second interview now. Francis Lawrence has directed some of the most eye-catching music videos around, including Britney Spears' I'm a Slave for You. Am I correct in that? Yes. Yeah. Uh, although his feature career has been something of a mixed bag, Constantine has its detractors, but also its fans. Me. Hello, Helen and me. I'm legend at well the box office, but not critically, while Water for Elephants highlighted the growing need of Water for Elephants. Uh, but he bagged the gig to replace Gary Ross in the director's chair for Catching Fire and subsequently its two sequels, Mockingjay Part 1 and Part 2. And we sent Helen and Ali along to talk to the director that nobody but nobody is calling F-Law. Enjoy. So first of all, we really, really enjoyed the film. I mean, you're coming into uh, something which the first film's already been a massive success and you've now got to both honour what's gone before and, and carry on that kind of tradition, but also bring something new to it. So what was, the, what was the first kind of challenge, I guess, in taking this on? The first thing that I really had to think about uh, when I got the call about meeting with the producers was whether or not there was going to be enough uh, for me to do that I was going to have enough sort of creative freedom because I'd never taken on a sequel before. I've never done a, you know, an episode of television after somebody's created the world. But I very quickly saw that there was going to be plenty of room for creative freedom. You know, there were certain things I was going to inherit. There were some aesthetic choices that were made in terms of the world creation, the way District 12 looks, the way the Capitol looks. Um, there's a cast that I was inheriting, um, but it was a fantastic cast. I mean, you kind of can't ask for a better cast. But I saw with the material when I reread the book that it's a very different story and there's a lot of new room um, to sort of maneuver with the characters and that is the story. It's the story where the themes for the book series really start to kind of emerge and blossom and that we start to see the effects that the games have had on the characters and the damage um, sort of being around violence and partaking in violence has, has done to them. And we start to explore, you know, post-traumatic stress syndrome and the, the entire world opens up. Uh, you know, the stakes for Katniss open up, the, the mythology and the stakes for the nation. And, um, you know, we get to create a brand new arena that hasn't been seen before. We get, because it's an anniversary year, we can see more of the capital and build new parts of the capital. We go to different districts. And so it just kind of kept, you know, building and building and building. And suddenly I realized, okay, well, the first movie was kind of a starting point, but now like we can really kind of open it all up and, and go from there. And then there's also a new cast. So, 
uh, there was loads for me to do and to sort of sink my teeth into. And then uh, I got really excited. All those themes that you've mentioned there. Now, we had news this morning that there's going to be in the works a theme park of the Hunger Games. Are you in any way involved? And how do you imagine the themes of alienation and uh, indoctrination? And You know what? I have no idea. I mean, literally, as everybody heard on the news, that's when I heard on the news. So I have, yeah, I, I have I have no idea yet. I mean, I'd be very curious to see what people's ideas are. I'm not an expert in theme parks other than I like going to them. So, you know, I'm down to go to a Hunger Games theme park. I see it as being like a really, really uh, fierce crash you got a tough kid that just isn't playing ball. You take him to the theme park. All right, you're going to the Hunger Games now. I'll pick you up in an hour. Yeah, that's hilarious. That sounds more like uh, one of those like child labor camps or something. Than... <laughs> Exciting new direction for theme parks. Though, yeah. So that could work. No, I'm sure. I'm sure that the people are coming up with some some something really kind of fun. And I, I also know that Suzanne is really cautious and careful. Um, you know, because she wrote books that are about something really important and something that she really cares about. And so I think that she would make sure that there was a really smart and tasteful way that it would be presented. Uh, or uh, you know, I don't think she would let it happen. Did she have a lot of uh, discussions with you about this book, or did you go? To her I did yeah I uh, right when I got the job I had a nice long conversation with her about the story and one of the first things I did after that was fly to New York and I was just gonna sort of sit with her meet her in person and kind of pick her brain and what ended up happening was for about three days straight we sat in this room in um, her the publishers building in Manhattan and just went through the book. I had made all these notes about the book, and we went through the book and went through my notes and created this beat sheet for the screenplay and then gave it to the writer and sort of started to build the screenplay from there. So it was a great kind of way to dive in and immerse myself in the world and be with, you know, the true expert of the world. Wow. And did you do the same for Mockingjay in that case? Cause yeah, and then – and so and, – and that all worked really well and she was really involved in the in the development of the screenplay and she, you know, would visit occasionally. But she sort of – once the screenplay, everybody's kind of high-fiving about that. She sort of backs off. Um, although she's welcome anytime. She's great. Uh, and then – but sometimes actually what she would do is she would actually come down to Atlanta where we were shooting to visit but to work with me on the weekends for the beat sheets for the next movies. Right. And so we did a fair amount of that, and she actually wrote some treatments for the next movies, and then that's what we sort of turned into the screenwriters. Are you aware what Jennifer Lawrence's favorite music video is that you directed? And could you guess? I'm going to guess Britney Spears' Slave for You. A hundred percent correct. Okay. That, that's genuinely impressive. I was wondering whether she was tapping you on the shoulder a couple of... No, she has this weird. She has this weird thing where, like, somehow something will get brought up, and then I'll say, "Oh, I did the video for them," and she goes, "No way, which one?" And then I'll tell her, and she's like, "Why is it every video I know and love you did, right?" And I just, you know, I can't quite tell if she's actually just being nice and friendly <laughs> by saying this, or if somehow truly, like, I've happened to be working with the person who like. Yeah. Knows those videos and loves those videos. She was, she was talking about a streak when it was like uh, Jenny from the Block. Yes. And there was a bit of conversation there where I said, you know, obviously J-Lo. And she went, yeah, people call me that. <laughs> no, no, I didn't mean that. I, I mean, don't. I call her J-Larry. That makes a lot more sense. Yeah, it's better than J-Law, I think. J-Larry. And, and I actually got that. There was a guy that used to call me Frank Larry. See, this is the sharing the last name thing. Somebody used to call me Frank Larry. And so I started to call her J-Larry. 
I think Jay Larry should catch on instead of Jay Law. Let's make it happen. Yeah, yeah. That, that was one of the questions I was genuinely going to ask because it's very hard for us when we're writing features about the film because we would tend to just use people's surnames and right. we obviously, Lawrence is just too confusing. Well, you can so. just do what everybody else does now, which is just put no relation next to my name. <laughs> That's your full name now. Yes, Francis Lawrence, no relation. Yeah. <laughs> it's important yes, to know that. Yes, Lawrence has become my middle name. I've got a couple of curiosity questions that aren't explicitly to do with this film, but hopefully you wouldn't mind indulging me. Okay, depends on the question, but... Should be quite simple, hopefully. Okay. <laughs> Constantine is yeah. getting a TV series. Yeah. Do you happen to have any thoughts you might want to give someone who is trying to make this into a TV show? Retrospectively, would you have any hints and tips about what to do and what not to do? Uh, well, what I would – I mean, you know, my big tip – and I, I don't know that much about it. I did hear that they're making a TV show. I think it's a great idea for a TV show. I hope it's for cable. I'm not sure if it's network. It's NBC. Yeah. Okay. That's my my big problem with it right there. Constantine is nasty, right? And I'll, with my and I'll, I'll give my advice here. I was making a big movie. We made a PG thirteen movie. We got hit with an R rating. I got totally screwed because if I was going to get an R rating, I could have made a hard R movie, right? I could have really earned the hard R movie. I would have made the hard R movie. It would have been a better movie. But instead, we have this kind of watered down. PG-13 movie with an R rating. It deserves to be an R-rated show. And it should be on cable. And uh, it should be dirty and cynical and nasty. People should be smoking. All the time. Constantly smoking. Constantly smoking all the time, as long as he's paying the price for it. Yep. But he's like kind of a horrible guy. He's not a very redeeming guy, and that's kind of the fun of Constantine. And I don't know how horrible a guy you can be. Mm. Um, and everyone needs to be from Liverpool. On NBC. Like everyone. I agree. Just to fix it. I agree. Yeah, okay. Yes. Good. I'm glad we cleared that up. Yes. And this is Were you a Hellblazer fan? My brother is such a big fan. Like the, he's such a big fan that if I didn't ask you he'd be upset. Yeah, no, and, and so and my movie was a giant disappointment to him. He, you know what? That's not he's not even that guy. I know guys who are that guy. No offense. Yeah. But my brother's not No, that I guy. got it. Believe me, I got it. I was like <laughs> I got hit hard by the fanboy stick mm. on that movie. It's a heavy stick. I it like is. it. Yeah, that's I'd like to a go lot on of people record. do like it, but really I know. But Keanu's not blonde and British. That was it. Done. Done. Out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's hard to win. Yeah. Uh, if only Sting was available. How about um, Tilda Swinton as an angel? I'm no, so there. I know. The, the, the cast is actually in Peter Stormare. It mm. had a good cast. Yeah. And speaking of fanboys, in the weirdest twist of fate, Batman and Superman is happening. Is happening? It's happening. Mm-hmm. And there was an Easter egg in I Am Legend for it. Yes. How does that make you feel? Was, it, was that a strange thing Was it when, when, when it was announced, or did you see it coming? No, I mean, you could sort of see it coming. I mean, especially with the success of, of Superman uh, and the success of the recent Batmans. Uh, you could definitely see it coming. I, uh, we didn't see it coming when we did that, that moment in I Am Legend. Um, the reason it's in I Am Legend is because Akiva Goldsman, who is the writer of I Am Legend and one of the producers, uh, wrote one of the original drafts of Batman versus Superman for Wolfgang Peterson. Mm. So there's a whole, you know, if you go back into the history of all the Batman, Nolan movies and Superman with Brian Singer and like Tim Burton and all those guys when they were going to do it, that was like way back then there was a Batman Superman movie that was going to get made and it didn't. And he thought, wow, wouldn't it be cool if we put this poster up because this is supposed to be in like three years and, you know, and we got permission from Warners and we put it up there. And yeah, and that's been what it's been for the past three years. People just going, there's it. That's what it is. That's yes. as close, as close yes. as we'll get. Yes. 
Um, I am a big OK Go fan. I know we're running out of time here. And I was just wondering, after you worked with them for Get Over It, can you take all credit for all work they did by themselves afterwards? You know, with their treadmill stuff. No, those are and those are actually some of my my favorite. They've done two of my favorite videos of all time. I like the one that I did with them. That was kind of a fun one. But their treadmill video and their Rube Goldberg video are great. I wonder, did they do them themselves or did the singer do them? I think the singer did them. I think he like choreographed them and all that. But that treadmill one was pretty pretty inspired. I have to say. You know what? That's the kind of idea that has to sort of be born from within a band because you know when you're selling a music video, right? And you got to write a treatment and you send these pictures for reference and all that. You're like, I'm picturing it all one shot and you guys dancing on treadmills. It's like I don't think you know many people would go for that. And just just very finally, I've got to ask. What are you planning for November 2015 when you're finally done with all three of these? Oh, hopefully I'm going to go on a very long vacation. A very long vacation. I've already been talking to my kids about it. Um, Unfortunately, they probably can't take off that much time from school, so we might have to wait for the summer, but we'll do something fun. But I'm going to sleep a lot. (laughs) Sounds like a plan. Thank you very, very much. Cool. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Lovely man with lovely hair. Indeed. Right, uh, time for the review section. Uh, it would be perverse to start anywhere else other than Hunger Games Catching Fire, so let's start there, because I'm not perverse at this time of the morning anyway. Oh, well, first time for everything. So the Hunger Games Catching Fire sees Katniss Everdeen, Jennifer Lawrence and Peter Malark, Josh Hutcherson, back in District 12 after successfully surviving the Hunger Games last time. Spoiler. Um, but they're soon sent off on what's called a Victor's Tour where they have to go around all the other districts and kind of parade themselves uh, in front of everyone. And on that tour they become aware that there are serious rumblings and unrest all over the, the country of Panem and that people are beginning to feel rebellious towards the capital. They don't help actually because they say a few nice and sincere things which of course um, actually fuel the flames of uh, rebellion and then then the two of them come under serious pressure to kind of put those flames back out at the co- at the expense of their lives or, or their families' lives if they don't. Um, so that's that's all gone a bit pear shaped as far as the capital is concerned, and they're determined that uh, that Katniss and Peter will not become sort of magnets for insurgency. And the way they decide to deal with this is by putting them back into the Hunger Games arena for another go-round. It's the 75th Games. It's a a 25th anniversary. You know, every 25 years they have what's called a quarter quell and they have a a big special event. Um, And that means that this time um, they're going to only send winners back into the arena. Now, in District 12, there are only three surviving winners ever. That's Katniss, and there has to be a girl, so she's definitely going in. And then the only question is, does Peter it's go like back? It's fixed, so she goes in. Uh, uh, what's that what? about? I'm sure President Snow, played by Donald Sutherland, with a really sneery voice, wouldn't do that, Chris. No, of course not. Um, so it's either Peter or Hamish will be going in with her, and they will be up against people who have survived the Hunger Games before, who are very tough, very scary, have incredible skills, and are also, you know, in quite a few cases, at least borderline insane. Uh, so it's scarier than ever and the stakes are higher. I don't remember very much about the first film. There was a bit where Josh Hutcherson disguised himself as either a tree or a cake. I can't really remember. <laughs> a uh, tree cake, yes. A tree cake. A um, cake made of trees. He, he um, did. But, yeah, but I, I really enjoyed this one. I thought it was uh, uh, gripping. I thought it was serious-minded. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's, a, it's quite a good thing that this is going to be potentially a billion-dollar movie the second of the year because it doesn't treat its audience like idiots. Yes. 
Uh, I, I I completely agree. I think it. Um, I mean, the first one I liked, but I didn't go nuts for. This one I I, I thought was much much better actually. Mm. Um, you know, partly some of the heavy lifting in terms of world building had been done in the same way that the first two Harry Potters were a bit plodding because they had to explain what all of these things were. I think the first Hungry Games had a little bit of that going on as well, and now Francis Lawrence is able to do what Quaron did and, and kind of just go for it just tell a story just focus on the actual drama the situation and the characters rather than having to explain what the heck this is mm. this is funny i i actually much preferred the first one i mean we've both read the books for these and they get progressively worse as they go on i think simply mm. by virtue of repetition and the second book's basically a spin on the first one and the third one's a spin on the previous two i prefer the first book and in this case i do prefer the first film because it has a purity to it you know there's a setup there's a resolution and i think the arena stuff in the first one is slightly more feral slightly more i won't say battle royale but it mm. has that feel about it whereas in this it feels rather more cartoony rather more comical and, and not quite as you know life and death but at the same time I think what, what's good about this one is that they don't get into the arena for well over an hour True. and the arena stuff is is a lot shorter than it was last time so that I think deals with some of the problems that the book had because I agree that the, the second book did feel almost cynically like a rerun of mm. the first um, whereas this one I think they, they kind of earn it a little bit more and they spend a lot more time you know going into depth into what this world of Pan Am is, what the pressures on this society are, you know, what the stakes are for everybody involved and, and why everyone is under pressure to keep things, you know, the way that they are. And I think that worked really, really well for me, that you didn't just feel like you were being thrust back into the arena and it was the same thing over again. It felt like there were different things uh, in play this time. Having said that, I was slightly disappointed you talking about how uh, Katniss and Peter are going up against former victors and they're more feral and they're, they're, they've won and they're, they're committed and they're smart and they're dangerous and savage in some ways we don't really get that confrontation not really uh, and I can't go too much into that obviously because they're, they're plot machinations mm. but the, the, the threats in the arena tend to be uh, external or put there by the Hunger Games uh, designer who's uh, yes. Plutarch Heavensby played That's by right. Philip Seymour Hoffman uh, who has He's a Hunger very Games good. Name, uh, he is name very himself. good. Uh, yeah, uh, but there's you know there's there's poison fog and there's baboons, are huge baboons, and there's uh, all sorts of other threats that don't come from the the competitors necessarily. Well, yes, that's true, but I think that ha- that's because one of the cha- the other changes is, is that basically, and this is I think what's kind of interesting about these books because f- even the third book, for all its flaws, highlights that this is a series about trauma as much as it is about anything else. This is a series where no one gets away clean. Um, and Katniss, um, in particular, is is just more and more traumatised by her experiences. And Jennifer Lawrence does a really good job, I think, in this film, of showing exactly how damaged she is, and Peter, and mm. Hamish, and all of the victors. Um, and I think that's one of the big strengths of the arena for me. This time, the big change is that there are many more alliances that Katniss is in with a group that she's not solely on her own in the arena. And I don't think that's too big a a spoiler to say. But that does change the dynamic. And yes, you're right. You don't have quite as much, you know, her against the world as you maybe did in the first one. But I think you need to change that up somehow. Am I the only one who sees this series as Republican propaganda? It seems to me a series entirely about the horrors of big government. (laughs) <laughs> and the importance of autonomy on a local state level. I think really that's the subtext we should be looking no, for. No, I, I don't think so. I think it's the horrors of authoritarianism and, uh, and that's not necessarily... That's what they want you to believe. <laughs> I, for what it's worth, thought this was pacier, more fun, more gripping, more entertaining than the first one. It licks along at a great 
pace and in retrospect there is a chunk uh, that we we talk about actually in a special spoiler section uh, which you can read about in a feature that's online on empireonline.com uh, with Francis Lawrence where he talks about what changes he made to the original book and costume design and all that sort of stuff so do check that out if you have watched the film when you're curious uh, but yeah, th- there's a, there's a bit which kind of disappears where suddenly time is sped forward because of the necessary need to to, to get, keep things going. Yeah. But I I also felt that relationships kind of were a little quick to develop in a way that maybe as a novel reader Helen might be able to explain better. There are some flaws. I think it's a very very good film. There are some flaws. I think it it suffers from uh, middle itis, <laughs> in that it's the middle film True. in a trilogy or a quadrilogy. Um, by the way, I've been going to the bookstores all week ripping copies of Mockingjay and Two just for extra authenticity. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. For some reason, the the bookstore employees aren't happy. That's weird. I'm isn't really it? trying to help yeah. them out. Uh, but this film for me doesn't end. It just stops. And that, that was a slight problem, but because uh, I was kind of going, oh, it's building to a big finish, big finish, and then it kind of doesn't really. And I guess Mocking J parts one and two will be the big finish. Yeah. But also, I have issues. No, you, you don't, Helen. But mm. I have issues with the the central love triangle that powers these movies between Katniss and and Peter and Gail Hawthorne, played by Liam Hemsworth. I don't think that those guys are well drawn or well defined enough to um, make her choice, make her her uh, her dilemma. Uh, believable. Here's my thing. She doesn't have a dilemma at this point. She basically doesn't care. All she's focused on in these first two films especially is staying alive and keeping her family alive and those she loves alive. Um, she doesn't She doesn't have any real... I mean, she says actually on screen, and I believe her, she doesn't have any interest in lovey stuff right no, now. I agree. I agree. And, Absolutely. And so she cares about both of them. You know, Gail is her friend since childhood. They've always had this this closeness and this kind of relationship. Peter and she have been through this, you know, incredible experience that no one else can really understand and that's driven a wedge between her and Gail and, and brought her and Peter closer together. But ultimately she isn't interested in forming a relationship with either of them so to say that the love triangle doesn't work I would say is a compliment. I think you're actually right I don't think the line tri- the love triangle works as a central narrative device primarily because it isn't one I don't think it is in the, in the books either I think people have made it into more than it is because of the whole Twilight thing Yeah. Uh, but it's 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 a, it's very marginalised I think in print I mean Gail's not in it enough to form part of a love triangle. Yeah. No but what I'm saying is that there's a development a late development again we can't really talk about this too much but there's a late development that I just didn't buy it comes out in the blue. I don't. I don't think the film has invested enough time in the car in in that side of the character or characters to make certain developments fly. That's just my personal take on it. I know the film doesn't revolve around a love triangle. It's got much much bigger fish to fry. But I think if you're going to have a major plot development revolve around something like that, you really need to make it work a little bit more. The script was in part written by uh, Michael Arndt, who will. Uh he, was, he did Little Miss Sunshine and Toy Story 3 and he's an Oscar winner and he's obviously involved with Star Wars Episode 7 up to a point or was I thought the script for this was very very tight I have not read the book but I thought it was really yeah. taut and they slip in you were talking about not being patronised as uh, filmmakers not patronising their audience they slip in very important facts very subtly and they're kind of here there and everywhere planted very nicely I was very satisfied by this film I walked out and I went I cannot wait to watch the third yes I yeah. cannot wait to watch yes. the third it's a friend <laughs> Plus baboons. Uh, it's a very intelligent, gripping, well-made, at times grim uh, yeah. movie uh, that has a lot of surprises. And Jennifer Lawrence is 
absolutely phenomenal. So it is. It is worthy of the four stars. There's a there's a great conversation early on between Donald Sutherland and and Katniss, which is uh, not the sort of conversation you usually find in a movie like this. And it's just really well 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 acted. To hear her use the words, not hear her, but to read her use the words fishoof and nyar. Read my interview with her, which I transcribed and has put up on the website emperor.com. Uh, she is absolutely wonderful, really, really charming. She jumps out of the page. So do check that out if you're you're a fan of hers. And she also does talk on our video interviews about uh, centipedes, so check that out as well. Not human centipedes, because that would be upsetting. Christ, no. Four stars for Longer Games Catching Fire. Next up is a film that took Cannes by storm this year. Uh, they had to basically invent an award for the two actresses in this movie. They didn't give them the best actress to these two actresses, but they had to invent a special award. They were so good. It's since been taken along as a very, very, very dark horse for the Oscar race. Sadly, I think it is. It's Abdelatif of Kashish's Blue is the Warmest Colour, uh, starring newcomer Adele Xarkop. <laughs> okay. It's Abdelatif. <laughs> Fuck you. Fuck you. It's Abdelatif Kasisha's Blue is the Warmest Colour, starring newcomer, and please give me a drum roll for this one, Adele Exarchopolis. Hey! Thank you. Give him my track record for pronunciations in this programme. That was a tough one. And Lea Seydou as two rather intense lovers. Ali, you were in Cannes. You interviewed these ladies. Yes, and it was a great pleasure to do so. Uh, they are both prodigious talents, and I really hope they get the opportunity to go on and on and on and do other things. Like the newcomer, Adele, is... She's breathtaking, uh, both as an actress and as a beauty. Uh, but you may lovely Adele. You might notice uh, that you might recognise Leia Seydoux from the beginning of Inglorious Bastards. Also, Mission Impossible Four. Also, Mission Impossible Four. Who could forget Mission Impossible Four? Yeah. So this is the story, which in French is called. It is a French film, just to make this clear. La vie d'Adèle, mm-hmm. chapitre 1 et 2. I was just translate that for you. Uh, the life of Adèle, chapitre. Un and two, uh, chapters one and two. So, with a film that has in its title one and two chapters, you know, yeah. this is a movie that's three hours long, and the overwhelming sensation as you watch it isn't just that that is a very intimate uh, lovemaking scene, which is possibly what it's most famous for, but that scenes run on very long. Uh, the director, Kashish, really gives space and room to breathe for these characters to feel real and to. It's a coming-of-age story and a realisation of sexuality uh, tale between a high schooler and who who is kind of coming to terms with her sexuality and then a, with blue in the hair, mm. uh, older girl. A bohemian. A bohemian, no mm. less, uh, who kind of helps her explore that sexuality. Uh, R. Ian Freer, who reviewed it for the magazine, absolutely adored this film. It was his film of the year. And it is his film of the year, unless something happens. Yeah, well, yeah. A lot late contender could... could no, it won't. Um, it is moving and sweet and real that there have been some difficulties with the director not being happy with how it was been portrayed uh in the media is that right after it came out well there's been a bit of a war of words between the two actresses and kashish uh basically they say that he was quite rude and quite mean on set and for example the uh the the sex scene which is seven minutes i believe out of three hours a lot of people are focused on it as indeed we are now but uh at the time in Cannes. Uh, there was an awful lot of speculation that they had done it for real and they haven't it was entirely simulated um, there was that scene took 10 days to shoot for example he was very very specific about what he wanted and he was very very uh, harsh and uh, and tough on the actresses involved and uh, in certain interviews they've said that they weren't entirely happy with that but I think there's been some rapprochement since between the, between the two of them or between the three of them and I think uh, all is okay in the in the in the Blue's Warmest Colour camp. And in fact, I think Adele Exarchopolis and Kashish are going to work together again. 
I'd hope so. There's obviously something there, whether it's difficult or not. It's it's obviously working. This, of course, won the Palm Door, lest we forget. Yeah, and uh, as I said before, Lee, uh, Spielberg and the jury created the special category to, to reward Exarchopolis and, uh, and Lea Sedu for their performances because they're fantastic. They're so intense. and so They're li- very lived-in performances, and especially from Exarchopolis, whose name I won't stop saying now I can pronounce it properly. Uh, and she's just absolutely fantastic, mesmerising, in fact. And we get this five stars. It is... Our film of the week in terms of quality. Do check it out if you cannot get in to see The Hunger Games Catching Fire because I imagine there'll be lots of cues. And this one for a, um, for a, a French art house release as well. It's going fairly wide around the country. And it, and it deserves it. So um, do go and see it uh, where you can. And like I say, remember it's three hours long. Just bear that in mind. Indeed. Indeed. Not a bad thing, of course. Uh, today, November 22nd, marks the 50th anniversary of the assassination of John Fitzgerald Kennedy, the 35th President of the United States in Dallas, Texas. Thankfully, it falls on a Friday, which means it's a perfect time to release a movie about it, isn't it, really? That's it's not cheap or tawdry or cash and innocent socialist at all. Uh, that movie is Parkland, which purports to tell a tale about the other people on the fringes of the assassination that day. So there's Lee Harvey Oswald's brother, Robert, uh, his mother, the doctors who try to save Kennedy's life, including Hunky Sack Efron. There's the Secret Service agents in shock at losing him, including Billy Bob Thornton, and the man who took the most famous amateur film of all time, Mr. Abraham Sapruder, played by Paul Giamatti. So, thoughts on Parkland, James? <laughs> I I, th- I thought it was an interesting uh, attempt to adapt the famous song by Blur. Um, I'm not sure it was entirely successful. The subject matter, to me at least, was quite surprising. Yeah. Um, I thought it would be a bit more sort of Cockney Britpoppy, but but no, you know, it, it would, they'd moved it to America and I think it went very well. Paul Giamatti as Damon Albarn. Yeah. 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 Zach Efron shouting, Park Life. That's good. Yeah. good. I didn't, the little pint of milk I was looking for, and he didn't turn up at any point. That was that was quite distressing. Okay, you haven't seen it, have you? No. Okay. That, w- that works on about half a level. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, Parkland is a bit of a mixed bag, I think it's fair enough to say. Uh, it's... It's it's interesting that it's not directly dealing with it. I suppose that's that's to be rewarded, but it's patchy. I think it's fair to say. No, it is it is somewhat patchy. We um, gave this film three stars, which you can only imagine it was a result of a sinister conspiracy involving the mob, uh, the Cuban government, and the uh, and the CIA. Uh, the this reviewer film, has since been shot in the head. The reviewer, yeah, back and to the left, back and to the left. This film is not very good. It is uh, very very cheap. It's very dull. Um, I'm going to recycle a line I used in film 2013 this week. It's not just, it shouldn't be called Parkland, it should be called Parkerland because it's so dull. It's just a, basically an anorak of a movie. It's um, because it's such an exciting subject, it's such an interesting idea. People on the fringes of the assassination, the doctors trying to save JFK's life. That's an interesting story. I'd like to see more about that. Robert uh, Robert Oswald, who's who has to watch as his world falls apart, as his brother is suddenly named as the guy who allegedly killed the president. Um, and there's, <laughs> I've been watching Oliver Stone's JFK too much. And uh, these are these are interesting characters. The problem is the movie is 91 minutes long, which is approximately half the length of uh, Oliver Stone's JFK, and it doesn't have the depth or the shade or go into these characters very very much. We're introduced to Zach Efron as the hunky doctor who tries to save JFK's life on the on the operating table. He's the only surgeon available in Parkland Hospital, which is where the uh, the film takes his name when the president is brought in and uh, we're introduced and basically we get an idea that he's a bit of a ladies man he turns around with a bit of a nod and a wink and he pinches someone's bum and then after that we get no sense of him at all as a character he's just trying to keep this guy alive on the operating table against all odds when bits of his brain uh, Jackie Kennedy literally has bits of JFK's brain in her hand 
he's not coming back, people. Um, spoiler, spoiler alert. Um, and after that, we, we get maybe one more glimpse at this character as he's trying to save, three days later, Lee Harvey Oswald's life on the same operating table. Uh, but apart from that, you don't really get a sense of any of these characters. There's a bit at the end where it comes up on the uh, uh, on the the, the sub the, the supertitles at the end. It says Abraham Sapruder never really got over the shame of filming the Sapruder footage, which is the only footage we have of the Kennedy assassination. Uh, but there's no he real sold sense. It on, didn't he? he well, it was kind of taken off him by the um, by the Secret Service and the CIA, and he kept a copy for himself. But I think he 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 felt very. Um, he, he didn't like the focus being at the centre of so much attention from the government from other people um, but you don't really get a sense of that in the film even though he's played by a very very capable actor in Paul Giamatti it's just a very very patchy film it feels a little episodic it's written and directed by Peter Landisman who's a, a journalist turned filmmaker let there be a lesson to all of us frankly there are some things in this movie that I thought were very interesting there's a there's a sequence where the, the Secret Service are, are transporting JFK's coffin back to uh uh, on what was then, I guess, a version of Air Force One. I'm not sure if Air Force One existed back then, as it is now, but it was their, their private plane. And they couldn't fit the coffin onto the plane. They had to saw bits of the plane away to get the coffin onto it. And they were, uh, and the, the handle of the coffin breaks off in front of Jackie Kennedy, and she's distraught, as you might expect. This is mere hours after the, the death of the president because they rode roughshod over Texan laws to take a body away from... Uh, Texas to take it back to Washington uh, which I guess is some of the things that's fueled some of the conspiracy theories over the years that there was never an autopsy performed by the medical examiner in Texas uh, and they, they bring it back onto the plane and they have to rip seats out to fit the coffin onto the plane and it's all it, that scene is the best scene in the movie but there are some very very weird directorial decisions by, by Landisman who chooses to have Jackie Kennedy be a character but she's on the periphery of things Almost, in fact, that you you really only see her face once or twice, and I, I think she only has one or two lines, and she's she's glimpsed in the background of of shots, almost uh, her back to camera an awful lot, almost as if it's uh, like the Edward situation where Bella Lugosi has died and has been replaced by a stand-in. It it just it feels very very strange, and it feels cheap. There's a bit where Sapruder is watching the uh, the procession come in, and he he sees the assassination, and the camera stays on Giamatti throughout as he goes oh my god here comes the president oh he looks great Here's bro- oh 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 they've killed him oh they've killed the president oh my god oh this is awful and it's just this is so bad it's a radio theatre um, so yes three stars for Parkland <laughs> three stars as we always say on the podcast is a recommendation and now the family a look best on comedy thriller about a mob family who relocated to the south of France but can't stop their old scheming murdering ways stars Robert De Niro Michelle Pfeiffer and Tommy Lee Jones which means it's got to be amazing Right, so the story of this one is that a member of the mob, can you guess who it is? Uh, it's Robert De Niro, that's right. Yes. Uh, he, he snitches on the mob, and it turns out that the mob does not like it when you snitch on them. He gets put into witness protection and is bundled off to a variety of places and ends up in... The south of France. The south of France, with his wife, Michelle Pfeiffer, and his two kids. And so that's fine. Tommy Lee Jones looks after him, in a manner of speaking, as kind of the watcher protector uh, within the uh, witness protection program. But, and this is the really, the biggest surprise, uh, his past catches up with him. And uh, this also means that it gives the team behind this movie the opportunity to yet again, and I can't... um, if someone could actually count this up the number of times Robert De Niro has ridden roughshod over his uh, past as a uh, as a cinematic legend uh, within Mafia movies um, he watches Goodfellas in this film he does which is just I think maybe a step too far for me 
and I think is quite indicative of the tone and the general attitude uh, towards uh, what's gone before. And it yeah. certainly doesn't match it doesn't match up to the likes of Goodfellas. No, it doesn't. I mean, this would be a fairly generic setup for an action thriller, and I think if they'd taken it, taken it as an action thriller, it might have been it might have quite worked because we all know Luke Besson; he can do he can do action. But this movie makes you weep. It makes you weak for people's cinematic legend legacy. So obviously, there's Luke Besson, but there's there's De Niro as well. There's Michelle Pfeiffer. They decide to play this as a as a black comedy, and it's very very cack handed. It's very monumentally misjudged. None of the jokes are funny. I think I'm all for black comedies. I love black comedies, but I like my black comedies to actually have comedy. And this one just completely gets it wrong. All the characters are reprehensible. Again, nothing wrong with that. Goodfellas is seen in this movie, is referenced in this movie. None of the characters in that are likable. They're all horrible people you wouldn't want to be stuck in a lift or the trunk of a car with. And uh, But yet, the writing, the acting, the characterization is compelling. None of that works here. Uh, it's just dreadful from start to finish um, which is not to say that all the performances are bad they're not it's just it has this horrendously misjudged tone from the off um, and it, it has one of the worst you must laugh now comedic soundtracks aha someone is being beaten with a baseball bat but we have jolly music playing at the same time so you know it's funny uh, it's absolutely horrendous I have a really big problem uh, with uh, I both love it and hate it with uh, cheeky music in films so kind of just like cheeky stuff it'll be like and yeah that sort of thing in this film is oh it's just heartbreaking so what number of stars do we give this one we gave this two stars but I think I personally would have gone with one star James has literally just beat me a quiz up while we were, we've were we been reviewing I have literally just answered um, Chris's quiz up challenge to a Star Wars quiz and I think I fair to say pwned the shit out of him I think we no no yeah Okay, maybe. Crushing uh, the thing. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, w- one thing I will say is that it's all over adverts these days and it's on the side of buses and stuff, and it looks like it might be fun. It's not. Sometimes you can persuade yourself that, you know what, I'm going to give it a crack. Uh, uh, no, is our thought, right? Yeah, absolutely. There are scenes where that lurch from alleged comedy to, to violence in a heartbeat, and you're meant to be laughing at the violence in this movie, is, as Diana Agron from Glee, as De Niro's uh, daughter, because the, the, the joke is that the, the kids in this family are as bad as the parents and uh, you know she beats people up a, a guy tries to come onto her and uh, and she be- beats him and his friends up with a tennis racket in a really really horrible way and you're just going oh, really okay am I meant to be siding with these people because frankly I'm not uh, so two stars slash one star for the family also out this week is a micro budget mockumentary computer chess which we gave three stars to and Danny Dyer takes on a gang of geezers what burned his parents though they did in Vendetta <laughs> And uh, if you, yeah, we get that two stars. It, it's it's better than most. Danny Dyer goes after some South London gangs. What burned his mum and dad to bits? Films, which I think is all of them, pretty much. But uh, yeah, it's 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 actually not too bad. And we one. gave that film two slags. Two. St- <laughs> it's a proper naughty film that got two stars out of five. So you can check it out maybe on DVD if you're a Danny Dyer fan or if you're Danny Dyer. Who knows? Uh, and that's it for this week's Empire Podcast. Join us next week for more film-related fun where we'll be joined by screenwriting legend and owner of possibly the best voice to grace this booth so far, Mr. Joe Esterhaus, screenwriter of Basic Instinct and Showgirls, will be in... Well, he was in this booth. He was in this very chair, in fact. There you go. And get your swear jars at the ready because Helen and I will be talking to Colin Farrell, star of Saving Mr. Banks, and the air will be filled with fecks, crumbs and blimeys and other harsh, unforgivable swear words as our Irishness meshes to offend your delicate sensibilities. I don't think it's going to match uh, Stanley uh, Tucci, I think. Uh, 
I, well, I think we've got a, the gauntlet has been laid down. I mean, seriously, who ever thought that Stanley Tucci would be the man to drop the C-bomb? And not only that, say it directly at me. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, the man has a point. I mean, obviously, he saw the truth and he told the truth. Yeah. I appreciate that. He calls that. it like he sees it. Yeah. yeah. To be fair, we drop the C-bomb at you pretty much every day. Just not on air. Yeah. Yeah. Because we're refined like that. We are refined. We are. Uh, okay, so until then, it is goodbye from Helen. Goodbye. It's goodbye from James. Goodbye. It's goodbye from Ali. Bye now. And it's goodbye from me. I'm off to queue for spam, 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 bacon, eggs, bean, bacon, spam, spam, Monty Python tickets, spam, spam, and spam. See you next week. <laughs>